1: You know, I want to bring in Adam Posen right now. Uh, Adam, I know you're one of the 13,000 people that looks forward to the spring annual meeting of the International Monetary Fund. What do you hope to learn from the meeting this time around? Uh, Learn? Oh, boy. Uh, Let's see. I hope to learn
2: how other countries are viewing the fiscal policy of the US. I hope to learn where the financial leaders in the private sector see the vulnerabilities and what they're lobbying for, and essentially on financial regulation. I hope to learn as people respond to our forecast, more importantly, the IMF's World Economic Outlook, where they, they are able to claim things will be better or worse, and most of all, I, you hope to get some feel around uh, the Trump administration learning that the trade conflict with China would be pretty
1: destructive. Well, let me just bring in a tweet that the president just offered the public four minutes ago. He says, quote, looks like OPEC is at it again with record amounts of oil all over the place, including the fully loaded ships at sea. Oil prices are artificially very high, no good and will not be accepted. Uh, Does it matter that the president has enjoined himself to the debate over oil prices, just as he spoke earlier in the week on Twitter about currency valuation?
2: It matters in the sense that I think you're rightly implying that a president should not be staking the prestige of his office, let alone his valuable Twitter time, on the fluctuations of global markets. It's it's a crazy thing. If he cares about the currency, then he's got to have a fiscal policy that's – consistent with a strong, sustainable U.S. dollar. If he cares about oil markets, then he has done what he should do, which was to deregulate. I'm not a big fan of it, but if what he cares about is lowering oil prices, the deregulation of energy in the U.S. is going to have an effect on that because it increases supply. So, you know, the chatter about it doesn't really help anything. It just sets him up to look a little silly.
1: Okay, but let let me just push back a little bit, Adam Posen, because this is a different world, one could argue, where direct communication between leaders and the public is not only more accessible, but perhaps even more important and can help frame the debates, the negotiations, indeed, even the conversations that will then be had in private, and that this is just one more tool of a master negotiator. I, I, sorry, I think that's ridiculous. Uh, the oil Why is price, that? the
2: oil price is set in global markets by millions of decisions every day by millions of people and businesses. The uh, President Trump's chatter has no effect on any of those decisions. The currency, some people will in the end especially traders, will decide to take a punt, as they used to say in the UK, on uh what way the dollar is going to fluctuate if it seems like the Trump administration wants a weaker dollar. But again, it has no effect on the... Uh, actual intervention behavior of other countries let alone the Federal Reserve let alone the fundamentals of economic growth. So again, if if you're trying to day trade, I guess it matters, but we shouldn't kid ourselves. If the president is running policy by Twitter and that creates an uncertainty over the whole economy, if it's contradictory to the underlying economic trends and you start to wonder about what the direction of policy is, sure, that has an effect, but it's not a master negotiator tactic.
1: Well, but if if indeed as you describe that it doesn't have any effect on the price of oil because the price of oil is set by thousands of other independent M- millions actions of other. millions of other actions then uh why would you describe it as being damaging to the prestige of the office of the president
2: because it's just like if i say i'm going to uh lose weight if the Patriots don't win the Super Bowl. Patriots don't win the Super Bowl, unfortunately, and I'm still fat. Uh, People start looking at you. Why? the? Do you have any self-discipline? Why the hell would you say such a stupid thing? Similarly with the president talking about oil prices.
1: All right, let's uh, move on to another topic that I know that you're familiar with, and this is the uh, fiscal responsibility of the United States, projected deficits of $1.5 trillion, uh, debt-to-GDP ratios moving higher, outpacing some countries even in the European Union, such as Italy. This report from the International Monetary Fund this week. Do you believe that the United States is is headed for a uh, perhaps a... Uh, uh, repeat of, uh, of the Japan's uh, fiscal and uh, political sort of deadlock over the last uh, previous decades?
2: No, actually, I don't, because the Japanese situation is driven a lot also by really unfavorable demographics and by a set of strange politics in a very different direction. Their problem is not so much deadlock, their problem is lack of competition. Um, in, In the U.S. case though, and you're absolutely right to raise the huge surge upward in U.S. debt projections for the next several years, There is a legitimate reason to be concerned that we're wasting money that could be used for other purposes, and we're losing the buffer. Uh, Vitor Gaspar was on Surveillance TV on Bloomberg just a couple hours ago. You need fiscal policy to have a buffer in case something bad happens, and, and we're throwing that away.
1: I'm speaking with Adam Posen. Uh, he is an uh, economist. He's also president of the Peterson Institute for International uh, Economics, and uh, he is also sits on the panel of uh, economic advisors to the U.S. Congressional Budget Office. Uh, if you uh, indeed, you probably do have the ear of a variety of uh, central bankers around the world. You have uh, been an advisor to the Bank of England, uh, and uh, also been an advisor to a variety of other uh, central banks previously. What would you uh, what would you counsel them? right now in terms of their interest rate policy, uh, given uh, the fact that uh, you have a relatively strong U.S. economy, low unemployment, you also have historically low interest rates, uh, but you also have fiscal stimulus in the United States?
2: Well, um, you were very kind in your description of me, but I actually was a policymaker at Bank of England, but I don't know if I have any influence still. Um, I think what I would counsel is has to be very country-specific. I mean, that's in the end, central bankers should be modest and be thinking about the data flows in their individual countries. You're absolutely right that a huge factor to take into account now in the U.S. is this fiscal stimulus on top of low unemployment, on top of pretty good growth. Uh, I still don't think the inflation risks are that high, that the Fed has to be terribly paranoid about it. But um, it does add to the risk of a overheating, and it does mean that the central bank has to be concerned about what happens if we end up in another recession. For other central banks, like the Bank of Japan, the European Central Bank, the issue is don't get caught up in this talk about normalization. You need your economy to be normal before you put your interest rates to be in a positive realm. And Europe is on very good course to do that, but it's coming off of some very, very large output gaps, very, very large unemployment rates. And again, you're not seeing the inflation yet in Germany. I mean, just now you're just starting to see real wage growth in Germany after many years of boom. So I think the concerns that the central bank should have should still be on the the side of not cutting off a recovery.
1: If, uh, if you were in a room with a group of uh, investors and they wanted to know Adam Posen's view of U.S. interest rates, what would you tell them for the next, let's say, 12 months?
2: Well, um, again, you're kind of ask. I would say that one thing is don't get freaked out about this recent uh, supposed yield curve inversion. This was, as, as uh, your next guest is more capable of speaking about, this was a standard kind of thing early in the tightening cycle. You get a little bit of a flattening yield curve. We still have a rising long rate. I think the investors have to worry more about the trade risk, the U.S.-China conflict risk having a potentially very large effect on equities. And um, and then finally, in terms of interest rates, I would think that you you want to look at the mortgage market, um, and that's actually held up pretty well. Um, and and but keep
1: your eye on that is when the when the uh, interest rate cycle starts really to bite. I want to thank you very much for spending time with us. Adam Posen, uh, he is president of the Peterson Institute for International Economics. He is the author of such books as Restoring Japan's Economic Growth and Inflation, Targeting Lessons from the International Experience. And the co-author of that book was none other than a former Federal Reserve Chair uh, chairman uh, ben bernanke coming up on bloomberg surveillance more from the international monetary fund spring meeting in washington dc with my co-host and colleague tom keen also with us uh, isabel mateos ilago blackrock investment institute chief multi-asset strategist My next guest is no stranger to the International Monetary Fund, no stranger to the world of international finance. Uh, Joining me now is, uh, well, an expert when it comes to all things international, Isabel Mateos-Ilago, BlackRock Investment Institute's Chief Multi-Asset Strategist. Isabel Mateos-Ilago, thank you very much for being with us.
3: (laughs) Thank you for having me. I also,
1: I also want to note that you are the author of such late-night reading as The Internationalization of Emerging Markets. Uh, currencies, a balance between risks and rewards, as well as evaluation of the IMF's role in a poverty reduction strategy. So, uh, well done to you. I'm curious, based on your uh, 15 years at the uh, uh, International Monetary Fund and now at, at BlackRock, when you read that there is such a level of popular discontent around the world at a time when those who look at the economic data point to Relatively low unemployment, relatively low inflation, as well as uh, rather uh, benign uh, uh, domestic, uh, uh, I would say, social issues. I mean, you, you, you don't see uh, huge increases in, in poverty. Um, what accounts for this uh, general discontent?
3: Well, I think it's clearly the the, the fact that um, the the impact of the recovery in recent years has been felt um, much more strongly by the upper tiers of uh, the society than by the than by the poorer ones, and there are, we're seeing a very fast-paced uh, change in the way the labor market is evolving uh, technology is disintermediating a lot of uh, a lot of jobs uh, and and people are feeling more 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 vulnerable and I think to me one very important message uh, coming out of the uh, the IMF analysis uh, for these uh, for these spring meetings is that even though the near-term outlook is quite uh, positive quite constructive if you look beyond 2019 actually things are beginning to look a bit more dire, and there are some very serious long-term challenges to to address. And, uh, and And I think the fund is right in sort of ringing the alarm that nobody seems to be focusing on on, on those challenges uh, nearly enough.
1: Are are, uh, are the uh, the professionals at the International Monetary Fund? Do you believe that those are the appropriate people to address these challenges, or uh, is, is it something for uh, individual governments?
3: Well no clearly these issues can only be addressed by uh, by each government uh, and some of it has to be done at a national level some of it a lot of it actually uh, needs to happen at uh, at subnational level which uh, which in some cases can be a complication but the role of the IMF can be to draw attention to these challenges which in many cases are common uh, things like uh, aging uh, populations is a challenge that many countries confront Things like needing to retool a very large share of the working population so that they can remain attached to the labor market, even as the, the the nature of jobs is changing very fast. Again, it's a challenge that affects pretty much every country on the face of the of the planet. And so the the IMF can can play a very useful role in identifying potential uh, remedies uh, and and helping countries compare uh, experience uh, in in these areas. But but first and foremost the I think there's an important uh, role that the fund is playing in drawing attention to these longer term challenges that people are not sufficiently focusing on right now. Can you
1: point to any specific countries where you feel that the officials and the political class are actually uh, making a positive contribution to these issues, because I know that you also have a background in the Ministry of Finance of France.
3: Well, I, I think France, as a matter of fact, is 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 definitely one country where uh, uh, reforming the the training system is a key priority of the government in order to make it more fit for uh, for the future. Um, I think it's still early days, and you know the government has been in place for uh, for just about a year, uh, so they're just Getting started, but they're definitely uh, uh, focused uh, very strongly on, on this and realizing that the current system, both of initial education and continuous training, uh, is not is not up to the task. Based on
1: your experience, is there a political event that investors are overreacting to, such as the Italian election?
3: No, I would say the Italian elections if anything we've been surprised by the lack of a of a market reaction considering that the outcome uh, which saw uh, you know, what one might say our populist parties essentially get the largest uh, share of the vote, uh, That you know, that should have been uh, an adverse, a market adverse impact. And in reality, um, markets barely reacted to that outcome. Now, you know, it's still, um, negotiations are still ongoing. We don't know what uh, parties are going to be uh, part of the new government in Italy. So m- right now markets are in wait-and-see mode. But if anything, we've been surprised by how subdued the the, the, the market reaction has been considering the, the vulnerabilities of Italy, particularly on the on the, on the fiscal front. Uh, but right. uh, if there's one uh, element... Gotta leave it th- we, unfortunately,
1: okay. we've got to leave it there, but I want to thank you very much. Isabel Matteo Silago, Chief Multi-Asset Strategist and at Blackrock
0: David Lipton is the American representative. He has four titles here, but usually to Madame Lagarde, he's the important number two. Many of you will know John Lipsky uh, of another time and place serving in these same important uh, duties. Dr. Lipton, wonderful to see you again. What do you do every day for Madame Lagarde? What's the real job of the first deputy director? Uh,
4: To manage the staff and uh, the work of the staff and make sure that everybody is uh, uh, doing what they've got to be doing. Uh, thinking about the policy, the strategy, and the crisis situations. we Give face. us the
0: stereotype of one PhD making the green book, the blue book, the fiscal book. Give us an example of who that PhD is. It's giving you your brain power.
4: You know, we've got people from all around the world. They're the very well-educated PhD economists. But what separates them from others is we are clinical economics. Are clinical economists, meaning you have to practice what you preach. It has to not just work in theory, it has to work in practice. And these are people who've been doing this around the world in in real-world situations, dealing with the actual problems and the leaders who have to bring about the changes.
0: The Zeitgeist of the 1950s and 1960s IMF was maybe over a week, over a quarter, maybe out six months. The zeitgeist now is one or two days. What do you see here within these spring meetings? Well, we
4: have to be agile. What everyone is saying this week, one way or another, is very simple. Things are good, but they're getting risky. And our message, of course, is in that kind of setting, while things are still good, it's time to try to prolong this recovery in ways that will be uh, sustainable and prepare for those risks, try to lessen the risks and be in a a better position to deal with them if they materialize.
0: You have a beautiful social media effort. I can tell you that in the bars, now maybe Arsenal football with the British contingent today will be different. But in the bars of the IMF, in cocktails, there is one video people are looking at, and it's the debt video yeah. of all the nations with improving debt structure, and there's one nation with a red bar, and it's the United States of America. Is the United States of America saving for a rainy day? Well, look,
4: there are debt issues all around the world. The key number you're referring to is $164 <laughs> trillion. That's a big number. That's more than twice global GDP. So there are a range of countries around the world that will not have the buffers, will not have the space and room to maneuver if something goes wrong. And so they should be doing something about that, trying to uh, rebuild space. The United States is in that category. It's important, and we've been saying this for years, that the US soon reduces the budget deficit and tries to get the debt to GDP ratio to come down because you never
0: know what will happen tomorrow. The arch theory for all Americans, and frankly for many in the advanced economy, is growth will solve everything. Within your forecast in the blue book, your World Economic Outlook, thank you, Maurice Obsfeld, can you yank it over to the brown book, the fiscal space, Mm -hmm. and say that growth will be there for every unique story, including the United States? Well,
4: we would like to see people Countries, all of our member countries, try to take steps to improve growth in the medium term because this is a cycle and you have to look over the crest of the right. hill and see what's going to come. And we believe that actually potential growth will be somewhat lower in the future uh, than it's been in the past. So there will have to be affirmative steps through infrastructure and structural reforms to uh, improve uh, the growth prospects. But I would say that. There are there are there are new wildcards on the horizon. Give I think, us an example. Well, the, the 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 three subjects, non-traditional subjects in a sense that are on everyone's minds this week are the three T's: trade, technology, and trust. Trade is a semi-traditional mm-hmm. subject because it, it used to be a big deal, but everyone's been in agreement for years right. that there should be liberal trade. We need to on trade. We need to pivot from where we are to countries that have. Uh, gain from globalization and know their future is linked to globalization, but are now big enough to matter. They need to be thinking about uh, opening up their own economies. And at the same time, the United States needs to be letting go of uh, unilateral pressures to achieve its goals. Here at at these meetings, people are really now talking about all together trying to find ways to shift to more market access, more uh, competition. Countries are now strong enough to open themselves up to competition. They will all gain. But the template,
0: of this is so important, (coughs) David. The template here is a multilateral effort in this idea of trust, buttressed up against an America with a president who is to be kind bilateral, maybe unilateral, or maybe my way or the highway. How do you draw? The present administration into a more successful trust relationship. Yeah, I think that our political economics. I think economics. the
4: breakdown in trust is very, is very broad, in the United States, in Europe, in many places. Trust is um, between uh, international partners. Trust in national institutions is uh, diminished, and I think that's a problem. The way it has to work is that people. Cooperate and show that cooperation leads to gains, and then you start to rebuild a sense that there is something right. to be achieved together.
0: I was talking to Jason Furman about the wonderful economist Robert Barrow and the trust over time. Are we destroying within your study of trust at the IMF? I did a panel on this, and uh, Dr. Lipton will do a panel on this as well. Do large deficits, do burgeoning debt, over the long term. They must destroy institutional and societal trust. Look,
4: I think the the globalization and the dislocation, the the financial crisis, technology, all of those things have led to an erosion of trust. People don't believe that institutions, the government has taken care of them. Mm. And so there's globalization, Uh, you know, we've been saying this for years, Globalization has to be managed in a way that it is going to be durable. You have to deal with the dislocations that come from globalization. And I think, as you're saying, you have to make sure that you maintain stability, because the financial crisis was the biggest destroyer of trust. We've not really uh, we have recovered in the sense that people trust financial institutions because we did a, a huge reform to make banks safe again. But more broadly, it's very important to maintain Stability of public finances in order to that people will trust in their governments.
0: Within this is China, and within this is a trade. This has been a wonderful discussion centered on the United States, but there are changes in the Pacific Rim, there are changes in China, and maybe the dialogue into May is about TPP. The president swings back and forth. Who knows where the president will be on TPP? Review the IMF stance on the efficacy, the benefits that all can see from TPP, even a China potentially excluded from yeah. it. I mean, at
4: the root is the proposition that we still can gain from more interconnectedness and that that's key to the future of the, of the Asia Pacific region. Um, and I think that, that there's, there's certainly having high standard trade agreements where there can be a deepening of uh, uh, links and countries can open themselves up to competition, mm-hmm. everyone gains from competition, it's a positive sum game, is important. I, I, it's been a shame that the United States hasn't found, yet found a way to participate in that because the United States could be a real driver mm-hmm. of growth.
0: David Lipton, thank you for this spirited conversation today, of course, with the International Monetary Fund. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure right now uh, here at the meetings of the International Monetary Fund, Fox in New York, obviously, and joining me, Francine McClaw as well, for a very important interview. It is on Europe, it is on trade, and it's on debt. But it's also on the fact that Francine wants to move to the Elgarb and that new 5,000-square-foot unit you've got, right?
5: I mean, Why does
0: everybody want to move to Portugal? Maybe if I was
5: a little bit older, Todd. I mean, Could you caught my attention because there is the sun. But of course, there are incentives being put by Portugal to attract pensioners that would then receive their money tax-free in Portugal. So it is indeed a very important it conversation. It is. It's timeless. We are about to have. He is both the finance minister of Portugal and the Eurogroup president. He is Mario Centeno. Thank Thank you so much, Thank Minister. You.
6: Portugal is a great us. country and it's I, I, a and very it's safe open place. For business. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um,
5: not all of your European counterparts are actually happy about these tax incentives. What would you say to them?
6: Well, it's, it's, um, it's quite marginal in any sense, uh, and uh, Portugal enjoys a very good economic perspective. Uh, we are um, in a safe harbor in terms of the fiscal position. Uh, We are committed uh, with the European project, Uh, so we are um, a very faithful member uh, of the group and uh, we work uh, together with all those countries to uh, clear this uh, subject.
5: Uh, But on the tax incentives and the tax cuts in certain parts or the tax incentives offered to pensioners, uh, what kind of impact does it have on real estate?
6: I mean, as I mentioned to you, it's, it's, it's really marginal at this stage. It's not. Uh, the, the country is improving uh, very much uh, in terms of its economic condition. Uh, we have been um, committed uh, with um, an adjustment program that really is paying off in terms of the results. Uh, the country is now in an inclusive growth trajectory. It's very important to count on everybody.
0: Minister, where is the appropriate value for the euro? We follow every day, each country, each story. You straddle not only your responsibilities for Portugal, but really for the rest of Europe as well. In your head, do you have a right value for the euro?
6: We, we really believe on the, on that, that the, the value of the euro reflects the fundamentals, uh, the economics behind it. Uh, and uh, we do see that um, as in the present uh, situation to uh, occur. Uh, so uh, in terms of, uh, of trade, and uh, we believe in multilateral cooperation. Uh, we think it's very important to keep it at that level. Uh, Europe is uh, a very open economy, uh, it's, well, uh, from the, uh, among the largest economies in the world it's a more open one, so we really believe in these values. I know
0: Francine wants to talk about without question the major themes here, the two T's for me, trade and trust, but your Vitor Gaspar of Portugal has provided real leadership to all of the world with his fiscal reports here at the IMF. How do you perceive the new trillion dollar deficits of America? The report is essentially scathing to the United States, isn't it?
6: Well, it's it's, uh, an issue uh, in the United States. Uh, You know the tax policy uh, and the fiscal policy uh, in the U.S. uh, has been um, quite uh, active lately. Uh, We think uh, uh, Europe um, as a different stance Uh, we have uh, an almost uh, on average uh, balanced uh, budget Uh, most countries in europe have also very strong uh, fiscal positions Uh, we are quite coordinated at the european union level Uh, that's very important for us Uh, taking the all countries into into fiscal uh, uh, policies that uh, are sustainable is very important okay
5: but so if, if you're suggesting that actually the u.s is not sustainable like many economists are what is the ramification for europe what impact does that have on europe
6: again the in europe um, is in a very strong position economically we are growing uh, the coordination of uh, business cycles in Europe today is at a high level. Uh, we uh, need to uh, make our own job at home, reform the euro area, uh, having uh, our competitiveness uh, uh, increase. This is uh, our focus. Uh, we need to, to to do that in coordination uh, with other uh, countries in a multilateral setting. This is true for trade, this is also true for fiscal policy, but uh, we uh, are quite confident on uh, our trajectory.
5: Minister, do you think that the Eurogroup or Europe as a whole can actually get exemption from tariffs imposed by the U.S. forever?
6: This is a measure of concern, I must say. Uh, And that's why the European Commission is in close contact with the U.S. administration to make sure that the temporary exemption is indeed permanent. Uh, We want to again stress uh, the role uh, of multilateral cooperation. It's very, very important to keep that at that level. How do you
0: respond to the United States idea of a new bilateral discourse worldwide? This is a multilateral institution. Portugal has led a multilateral debate in Europe for years, if not for centuries. How do you react to a bilateral, my way or the highway, Trump administration?
6: Again, reaffirming the importance uh, and the evidence that multilateral uh, cooperation takes us much uh, uh, Further in the in the, in, the, in better in the in the in the in the future and in economic terms than uh, simply bilateralism. Okay,
5: but what do you worry about the European economy? growth? I mean, is it ninety percent trade or is it also high euro?
6: You mean in terms of the growth of the European yeah, in economy? Terms of what
5: worries you about GDP?
6: <laughs> to be to, to my focus now uh, as president of the Eurogroup is to improve the institutional uh, capacity of the euro. Uh, we uh, implemented very important reforms lately. Uh, these need to be complemented by, uh, uh, as I mentioned yesterday, going the next mile. We know uh, that we need to do that, uh, and this is our main focus.
5: Minister, thank you so much for joining us. Thank that was, so of course, the Eurogroup President and Minister <coughs> of Finance of Portugal, Mario Centeno.